uh, while you're finding your seats. Yeah, shout, I want to hear what's on your guys' bucket list. Shout out a couple things that are on your bucket list. What was said? New Zealand. New Zealand? That was in first service. What else? Skydiving, okay. Rock climbing, okay. Inside rocks, outside rocks, what are you thinking? Outside rocks, Colorado. What else? What do we Bucket list items. Who's got a really great one? Learn the banjo. That is a great one. Let's go. I don't have a huge bucket list. Uh, one was to see Dylan in concert live, and it happened. It was awesome. He was barely alive, but <laughs> one was to marry Alexandria Reynolds. It happened. One was to plant a church where God's the main attraction. It happened. That's you guys. The only thing left is to, uh, I want to tour the world in a middle-aged funk band called Humpty Funkty. <laughs> I think that'd be so fun. In fact, I've linked our Kickstarter to verticalchurch.com give. So thanks for the contributions. Most of us have a bucket list. Most of us have things on a bucket list, things that we feel like, I really want to do this before we die. And we're in a, a section of Ecclesiastes where we were told last week in no uncertain terms, you're going to die. Here's a morbid thought. There is one person in this church who will be the last person standing. I fully intend to be that person. But there's one person in this church. Think how morbid this is. There's one person in every family, one person at every table who will watch one by one everyone else around them die off. And then they will die. Death is coming to all of us sooner than we think. In 80 years max, 100% certainty, everyone in this room will be dead. Welcome to Vertical Church. So guys, what would you expect the very next section of Ecclesiastes to say? You're going to die, so write a memoir, a draft, a will and testament. A better question than what do you want to do before you die is what does God want you to do before you die? And in the King's Journal today, we see God's bucket list for our lives. Open up your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 9, the, uh, verse 7. Who Raise your Bible if you brought your sword to church this morning. Come on, raise it up. Good. We want to be a church. We want to be a people who carries these things into God's house because these are the truths we're standing on. Amen? Come on. These are the truths we're rallying around. Amen? These are what we're celebrating, so we bring these to church every weekend with us. If you don't have one, find me after service. I'm going to hook you up uh, this morning. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, beginning in verse 7. If you're there, say there. All right, guys, let's lean in now. This is what we got out of bed for right here. Verse 7. What's that first word? Go. We'll just stop there. Alex always makes fun of me because I'm like, guys, we're going to read the word. Let's read the word. Go. And I just stop. But it's because this, when it comes to Bible reading, the slowest reader finds the gold. And let's just linger over this gold right here. What's that first word again? Say it out loud. Go. The Hebrew word translated go is lek. Say that out loud. Lek. It means go ahead. Go forth. Get out of here. The first command God gives us after reminding us of our impending deaths Go ahead. If you're taking notes, write that down. Go ahead. 
I think most of us have a vision of God where the first word out of his mouth is not go, it's no. No. We think God is the God of no's. No, don't do that. No, don't do that either. Avoid, abstain, cease, desist, renounce, forego. We think God is like that because we think that's what holiness is. You see, guys, we can have three visions of holiness. The first vision is holiness by subtraction. Religious people love this option. Holiness by subtraction. God wants me to deny myself of worldly pleasures. Children, we will not dance in this house. We will not laugh in this house. We will not spend money. We will not have fun. We are wretched worms. We deserve nothing. So we will perpetually punish ourselves by denying ourselves of God's good gifts because we want to show God how sorry and serious we are. That's the poverty gospel. Salvation through poverty. And the Lord says to that, hey, hey, I'm not honored by you adding self-denial to the finished work of my son on the cross. If God says eat, you should eat. If God says drink, hey, you should drink. If God says it, you should do it. It is therefore holy. Guys, God already dealt with our wretched wormness on the cross. And he's saying, I've now adopted you into my family. You're my kids. And I want my kids to be the happiest, holiest kids on the earth, not the saddest, most miserable. Religious people, man, we're strange. God gives us something to enjoy. And we think the giver is honored by our refusal to enjoy the thing he just gave us. Stop that. If God gave it to you, enjoy that. That glorifies the giver's heart. Some people perceive themselves to be holier than God. That's why they killed Jesus. Though he was God, he wasn't godly enough for the religious elites. The second approach is holiness by addition. Rebellious people love this option. Often the rebellious children of religious parents, these people believe God wants them to deny themselves nothing. So materially, yes, this is prosperity gospel, salvation through prosperity, but it's not just materially, it's also morally. For these people, sin and fun are synonymous. And if all they've seen is holiness by subtraction, that life with Jesus is as enjoyable as a perpetual root canal, then they're going to say, yeah, how about we don't do that? I want to have some fun, so let's do it all. Let's do all the sin. And you know what? I actually think God wants this. You know, God's cool like that. God is love. God is tolerance. I can have the world and give me Jesus. That's holiness by addition. And yet what we see here in Ecclesiastes 9 is not holiness by subtraction or holiness by addition. It's holiness by redemption. Redeemed people love this option. Holiness by redemption says everything is a gift given by God and meant to be enjoyed in God's presence and to his glory. Holiness by by redemption asks, okay, Lord, what joys have you given me? What opportunities, what experiences have you blessed me with? And how can I enjoy all of that in your presence and to your glory? Holiness by redemption believes God is good 
and everything God makes is good, and everything God does is good, and therefore everything that is not sin should be enjoyed in a way that honors and acknowledges and recognizes and celebrates and shows off his goodness. And so we enjoy God through enjoying God's good gifts. And in doing so, we become increasingly satisfied and he becomes increasingly glorified. The section of Ecclesiastes here is holiness by redemption. And God says, first word, go. Go ahead. Enjoy what I've given you. Let me just ask, do you believe that God is a God of go or a God of no? You can know by how you answer this question. What was the first command God gave to humans? Most people will say, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that's because Satan is in our ear. We see God's heart in his first command to us, Genesis 2, 16, and the Lord commanded the man, here it is, guys, first command, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. Do you hear that? Go, you may eat of all of it, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of that, you shall surely die. Now watch what Satan does here. Genesis 3, verse 1, and he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Do you see what he did right there? God lavishly says, yo, I made all of this. It's all for you. Kids, go get it. Go get full you don't even have to worry about your pants getting too tight. No pants. Just go eat. Go eat. Enjoy. <laughs> Except, hey, kids, before you go, there's one little tree. Don't eat that one. That one will kill you. And Satan slithers in and says, really? So we can't eat anything? Do you see what he just did? He took a single prohibition and turned it into a total prohibition. He convinced them that the garden of go was now a world of no. And this is how we've all envisioned God ever since. Take Sabbath, for example. God says, man, you guys are working so hard. I want you one day a week, don't work. Instead, man, just sleep in. Linger with me. Eat great food. Hang out with your friends. Just rest. And then the Pharisees move in and say, you know what the point of Sabbath is? Do not work. Not working is the point of Sabbath. So they, so they took the single prohibition and made it the total prohibition. And now they make rules, just silly things around, all right, well, how many steps is considered work? And if an animal falls into a pit, don't take it out because that's work, right? And that's what God's heart is for. That was not God's heart for Sabbath. Sabbath was a day of go, rest, retreat, rejo rejoice, replenish. And they turned it into the day of no. And what we need to know is every time God says no in the Bible, it's to protect a go. It's to protect a good gift. Think of the Ten Commandments. Do not murder protects the gift of live and let live. Go, man. Do not commit adultery protects the glorious gift of marriage. 
That's his heart. I want to give this good gift, and I don't want that to be corrupted. Don't let Satan convince you that God is a God of no. He's a go-ahead God. He's a green light God. He's a God of go. And my job as a father for my children is to image the heart of the father. So I'm trying to be a go-ahead dad. Dad, can we go outside? Go, man, go, go ahead. Dad, can we have ice cream after dinner? Go ahead. Dad, can we wrestle again? Let's get it on, right? Let's do it again, again. Now, there are, of course, there's times where I need to say no. Dad, can I use my pillowcase to parachute off the roof? No, right? Dad, can we have candy again? No, because candy again means you're all going to be melting and crying in two, two hours. And I want you guys to be having fun in two hours, not crying. Do you see that? My no's are there to protect their goes, their joys. I'm not there to rob them of joy. I'm there to protect their joy. That's what my job as a father. That's God's job as, his father, as our father. So if you ask me something that's, that's not going to hurt you, child, or hurt anyone around you, go, man. Have a blast. I'm trying to be a go-ahead dad because I'm imaging a go-ahead God. And we see that right here in Ecclesiastes 9. So here's the question. What is he saying we should go ahead and do? Look at verse 7. We're now on word number 2. Eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart for God has already approved what you do. God says, okay, so you're going to die. But remember last week, but don't worry because the deadline is a living lion and he just devoured death for you. So you're going to die, but death is no longer a uh, dead end. It's a doorway to life. So go eat. I just so would not have expected that. Go drink. Number, point number two, here's what we're supposed to do, you guys. Here's the bucket list item. Feast under the smile of God. A lot of problems came into the world when people tried to eat apart from God's presence. And so it's no surprise that we're going to kick off heaven with the marriage supper of the Lamb, a giant Edenic feast back into the presence of God. Adam and Eve hid from God's presence to eat. And so God sent his son Jesus to bring us out of hiding and through his death, life, and resurrection, welcome us back into his holy presence to eat. I just love that. I feel like that's something we all can do. All throughout the Bible, eating and feasting is on the very heart of God. And I just think it's amazing that out of all the things God could told us to do in the section, immediately reminding us of our impending deaths, he says, order it. Get something awesome. Eat with joy. I love eating with joy. Over sabbatical, Alex and I were up on the North Shore. We tried this new spot in two harbors. Oh, just look at that. That, I ordered the, the blue cheese crusted filet and a Caesar salad that looks like a science project. <laughs> and it was amazing, you guys. We just sat, we just talked about our kids and the church and the Lord. And what could have been a 60 minute dinner became like a two and a half hour dinner. 
And I show this picture because this is the picture of Ecclesiastes 9. According to Ecclesiastes 9, this is what it looks like to know you're going to die, but you're going to live forever. Apparently, this is the vision of holiness. God's vision for our life. It might be become a, mis- a missionary, die a martyr's death. How epic would that be if someone in here is called to that? But for most of us, we're told here, start with this, feast. Eat healthy, eat with your family, eat with your friends, eat with joy, eat to his glory. Eat, because we are a people who will soon be sitting around a table with the Lord Jesus himself. And we are going to feast with our go-ahead God. Eat and, see it in the text, drink your wine with a merry heart. Of course, drunkenness is out of bounds biblically because it hurts us and it hurts those around us. And if you, for whatever reason, are prone to drunkenness, and so you're deciding to stay away from alcohol, I just want to applaud you. You are a gospel monster because you know that a, when a good thing becomes a God thing, an enjoyable thing becomes an enslaving thing, and you are fighting for freedom. And so we don't look down on you for that. We look up to you in that. Thank you for inspiring us to be wise and to be free. But if you are not prone to overdrinking, the king here says, all right, then sit down with a glass of wine and grab someone you love and have a conversation that includes the Lord, that involves the Lord, that enjoys the Lord. Go ahead, let your heart be happy because we'll soon be in the Lord's presence, which is described, Isaiah 25, 6, like this. Yahweh of hosts will make for all of his people a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. That's heaven, you guys. Now, if these words aren't just from King Solomon, but from King Jesus, like Ecclesiastes 12:11 says, then I want to know, did Jesus practice what he preached? Like, if this is God's vision for our lives, then certainly we should see this in Jesus' life, right? Did Jesus do what Ecclesiastes 9 is telling us to do? He did. And the religious highbrows hated him for it. Matthew eleven nineteen, 19, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. And they said, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. So before you die, God wants you, this is radical, feast. Eat and drink with joy. Here's the question though, guys. What are we so joyful about? Do you see the text? For, because, God has already approved what you do. Another translation, God has already approved your works. If I opened a restaurant, I'd call it already approved because that's the reality, apparently, that infuses our feast with joy. King Jesus, through King Solomon, says God's already approval 
is the most important ingredient in every meal. And Christian, I hope you know this, you are already, past tense, approved. Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So you are who you are in God's eyes. You actually are who God says you actually are. And God says you actually are already approved. So feast under the smile of God. Let your heart be joyful because of the gospel. Now verse 8, let your garments always be white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. The next thing God wants on our bucket list is to celebrate the gospel in everything. In the Old Testament, when people would come uh, to the temple, they would walk long distances through desert. So they show up dirty. And at the base of the temple, they would go through ceremonial bathing and cleansing, and then they would put on white clothes, which symbolize that they are cleansed morally. They are forgiven Really tenderly, I want to say, um, when a sexual assault occurs, often the victim will, most Im will immediately feel an impulse to go take a shower. Why? Because when you are feeling defiled and dirty, what you feel is a need to be cleansed. And that is at the very heart of the gospel. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And a lot of us don't think there needs to be an and. I just, I'm, I'm forgiven. No, no. And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Maybe, maybe you're dating. Maybe you're engaged. Maybe you're a woman and you're wondering, I, I haven't been sexually pure. Can I still wear white on my wedding day? Since white is supposed to communicate purity. If you're a Christian, if you've asked Jesus for forgiveness, you should wear white. You are not only forgiven, loved one, you are cleansed. This is called the doctrine of expiation. Look to your neighbor and say, expiation. Good. That's one worth memorizing. Guys, this is the truth that when Jesus died for you, he didn't only forgive you, he cleansed you from all of sin's pollution. He washed you from all remaining guilt and shame. So if you're a Christian, white is now your color. I know we're Minnesotans, we're pasty, we're like, white does not look. White is your color as a Christian. Solomon says, let your garments be white so that the gospel is preached in the small things. Guys, if, you, if you've been sexually impure, when you put on your white socks or a white shirt, you just let that thing preach, man. When it snows outside, you let that preach. Pause for a moment and say, yeah, Revelation 3, 5, the one who conquers will be clothed in white garments. And I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Because of the cross, all of us who are dirty and defiled are now, right now, not just forgiven. In his eyes, 
clean, pure. And the, the, the clothes the Lord has laid out for us in the place that he's prepared for us are white clothes. Just read Revelation and circle every time our clothes are, called, are defined or described as white. It's dozens of times. We will be wearing white because white is the color that looks best on cleansed people. Again, did Jesus practice what he preached? Mark 9, 3, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. <laughs> the king also says, let not oil be lacking on your head. Remember Psalm 23? Uh, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. In the Bible times, if a host really wanted to honor his or her guest, he or she would anoint the guest's head with oil. So guys, again, just let the gospel talk here. We're not just going to be allowed to be at God's table. As his redeemed kids who were lost, but now have been found, we will be the guests of honor. We will be the guests of honor at Jesus' table. Like what? God is saying to us, before you die, here's what I want you to do. Believe the gospel. Remember the gospel. Celebrate the gospel in all the things, big things and little things, like how you eat, like what you wear, like how you live. Let everything preach gospel. Let everything remind you that you are clean right now in God's eyes, that you are already approved right now in God's eyes through Jesus Christ. Put that on your bucket list. And now look at this, verse nine. It says, enjoy life. That's so radical. Nobody's doing that today. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your, I think there's a little comedic twist here, all the days of your vain life that he's given you under the sun. Because this is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. God wants you to put this on your bucket list. Enjoy life with the ones you love. Solomon says here specifically, enjoy life with your spouse. First, I want to give just a, a little side word to singles. If you're a single, listen, you got to know this. You are not incomplete. Do you know that? God is not holding out on you. You don't need to be fixed. Marriage is a gift. And this is crazy. And 1 Corinthians 7 says singleness is a greater gift. It's reserved for gospel giants who are so radically sexually pure and pursuing satisfaction and intimacy in Jesus alone, who are so focused on the mission of God that they don't want to be distracted by lesser things, like marriage. That's 1 Corinthians 7. Go read it. So if you are a single, you need to know you are not incomplete. Because if singles are incomplete, then Jesus was incomplete. And if Jesus was incomplete, then our gospel is incomplete. We don't have a gospel. Lifelong singleness is a spiritual gift to be enjoyed, not a spiritual curse to be endured. And we want to be a church 
where spirit-filled singles can find deep, meaningful, lifelong relationships with people they love. So whether you are single or more textually here, you are married, here's the idea that only God could have came up with. Try enjoying life with the people you love. Like, like what if the primary objective in life was to enjoy life? What if life became less about building the career, uh, buying the thing, becoming the important person, and what if you just rolled out of bed every day with one objective because you know you're about to die? I'm just going to enjoy this thing for everything that it is. I'm going to enjoy life with the ones I love. Guys, all this stuff we think matters, Ecclesiastes is telling us week after week, it's actually not going to matter. In final analysis, it's not going to matter. On your deathbed, I can speak from experience. I've been at the edge of many of these. On your deathbed, you're not going to be thinking about the promotion you got or didn't get. You're not going to be thinking about the house you bought or didn't buy. You're not going to be thinking about the amount of likes. There's going to be two things you're thinking about, the Lord and the people you love. And so the wisdom here is just so live for those things. Enjoy those things, the only things that matter. God is saying, I want you guys to make mountains of moments and memories that actually matter on that final day. This is a father saying to his kids, okay, I know there's bills to pay and dishes to do and clothes uh, to fold and jobs to work and kids to bathe, but don't forget to enjoy life. Book the tickets. Go to the thing that you've always wanted to go to. Play the game. Order the dessert. Go to the party. Laugh until your sides hurt. Make the memories. Enjoy life with your spouse, with your kids, with your roommates, with your friends, with your family. Why? Because this is your portion in life. This is, the, this is what God has for you in life under the sun. So enjoy it. Get out of here. Go enjoy it. I just think we're taking ourselves way too seriously, you guys. God is saying, stop bickering about stupid stuff. Stop being so stressed out about stupid stuff. Stop getting distracted by all the things that will be 100% meaningless 100 years from now. Stop doom scrolling on Instagram. Stop being so critical about everything and everyone. Stop all the things that are holding you back from actually just enjoying your life. Shelve all of that and go enjoy. Get out of here and live. Like live life to the full in Jesus. My wife and I love music. So this week, inspired by this passage, we're like, let's just book tickets. Like we always have so many excuses why we can't go to that thing. We can't get childcare. We can't do that. Let's just like book the tickets. And so we just went on and booked tickets. And so we're super excited to see Cardi B and Travis Scott. See, just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, uh, Almighty God is saying, enjoy your life. Enjoy your life. Enjoy life with the ones you love. And again, did Jesus practice this? John 13, 1, having loved his own, he loved them to the end. The last thing the Spirit has for us here in verse 10, and whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your 
might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. I, I love this. It's not just, hey, eat, travel, don't take any. He also says, and whatever I put in your hand, go and do that with all your heart. The only way I know how to say it, go full send on what God has called you to do. Like, don't hear Ecclesiastes saying, hey, your job is ultimately meaningless, so give up. Don't care. It's saying, hey, your job is ultimately meaningless, so stop living for your job. And in your job, live for the Lord. And that will free you up to work harder and to work so much happier and freer because now you're not anxiously asking for something that it cannot give you, namely fulfillment and satisfaction in life. You're already swimming in that. So you can just go and whatever God puts in your hand to do, do it with all of your free heart and all of your joy. Before you die, God wants you to go full send on everything he puts in your hand to do in the spirit of not anxious striving, but just worship onto the Lord. So write the book, do it. Record the album, take the job, become the missionary, plant the church, lead the group, marry the spouse, raise the kids, buy the thing, take the risk, do your best. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all of your strength. Did Jesus here practice what he preached? What did Jesus' hands do again? No, at the end. He spent all of his strength. Guys, this isn't just God's bucket list for us. This is God's bucket list for Jesus. Think of it, just roll it back. God says, go. And Jesus put on flesh and dwelt among us. The Father says, eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. And on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and broke it. And he took wine and he said, drink of this. The father said, let your garments be white. And Jesus' clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. The father said, let not oil be lacking on your head. And when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive oil, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. And Jesus said, in pouring this oil on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. The father said, enjoy life with your wife. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her. The Father says, whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your might. And he was crushed for our iniquities. He was pierced for our transgressions. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. 
through Jesus, you are healed. So go enjoy life with the one you love. Let's pray.